Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z today, talking about An Innocent Man, the song, not the album. An Innocent Man is the second track of the album of the same name, which was Billy's ninth studio album released on August 8th, 1983. The song itself was officially released as a single in December of 1983 and was the third single to be released off the album. On February 25th, 1984, the song peaked on the Billboard charts at 10. This is an album an innocent man as an album, mind you, that would eventually garner an unheard of six singles out of 10 songs, which of course rivals the album that won best album of 1983 thriller with seven. The B side of the single was the Beatles cover of I'll cry instead performed live by Billy. Okay. Elon Altman in the Christopher Bonanos 2015 vulture rankings. Out of 121 songs, this is a good one, Elon. This guy has lost his mind. (laughs) What do you think, now knowing a little bit more about Christopher Bonanos and his possible way of thinking, where do you think he ranks An Innocent Man, the single An Innocent Man off An Innocent Man album? I would expect this to be somewhere in the middle of the range, somewhere in the 60s. But given that intro to his ranking, I'm guessing he likes it a lot. So I would say 38. I always give you clues. But no, he thinks this is the fifth best song Billy Joel's ever made. Fifth? (laughs) Yeah. That's too high. This is what he writes. Hard to think of a rock star as an innocent, but he really was. Don't forget that he was repeatedly conned out of millions of dollars by his managers and handlers. Another great vocal performance on an underrated album that contains several of his best songs. So he likes the album as a whole. He's right about the vocal performance. That's for sure. Right. The vocals are great. And Billy Joel mentioned this song was the end of Billy's high note. It was like the last song where he could actually like hit a high note and he didn't really try it again. And usually when he played it in concert, he had someone else singing the high note. Yeah. Excellent point. When I saw it live, I saw the uh, another guy singing the high note. Yeah, it's a yeah, there's that one point where it just goes to another level where you're like, wait, did Mariah Carey sing that? And again, he probably could have continued singing if he didn't smoke cigarettes. Well, actually, if you look at concert footage from like 2006 onward, he does go for it. Even 2019, there's a video of him singing it and he goes for the high note. It's not as high as on the album, but he pulls it off pretty well. Well, he pulls it off well because he puts all his songs in lower keys now ever since that time. So it's easier to hit a higher note starting from a lower key. Uh, let me just also give you the, the, this is more in our wheelhouse, the 2017 Newsday article by Glenn Gamboa. He puts it at 44th out of 124, which is a little better. And the fans actually rank it a little higher at 38th. I can accept those rankings. It feels like an epic kind of song. It's got a lot of big, you know, the strings. It goes from quiet to loud and has all those kind of elements that could make for a great song. It just doesn't do it for me. Me neither. So for my personal, and remember, rankings are a personal choice of rankings, and that's why it's fun to talk about it and forever and just keep arguing about it or whatever. But yeah, for me, I would put this song possibly in the 80s or 90s. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. I never liked it. It's a little too sad for me. It doesn't take me anywhere I want to go. What I do like about it is the fact that it 
again with Billy Joel, how he takes a genre that I could not care less about doo-wop 50s music the drifters whatever smoky rob all that stuff i just don't personally care about and makes me like a genre by him writing it in a different way so i do like when the song kind of lifts up a little bit when he when it when the lyrics pick up i know you're only protecting yourself and then it goes a little higher i know you're thinking of somebody and, and then it lifts i do enjoy that part a little but it's still not my favorite song Right. I, I agree. Those are the parts of the song that are great. Those little elements that are really good. What what I what bothers me about the song is that it doesn't really rhyme well. It's got a lot of lyrics all over the place, but there's not a lot of like easy rhymes. So it's kind of hard to remember to sing along with it. There are certain moments that you could sing along with, with, with really well, and those are good moments in the song. But it kind of just meanders in this weird way and it becomes very complicated. So like one one part of the lyrics that I really like is when he says, and although this is a fight I can lose, the accused is an innocent man. I really like that couplet right there using rhyming lose with accused, I think is really cool. That's like a good moment in the song. But then there are other parts where some people sleep all alone every night instead of taking a lover to bed. Some people find that it's easier to hate than to wait anymore. What the hell is that? Good point. It's like he didn't even try. He wrote out his thoughts like stream of consciousness and then said, all right, I'll just put it into stand by me. And that's the song. Yeah, you're right. And this is a, you know, one of those songs. I I, I don't remember any of the lyrics and when he says it, but I will uh, quote you on this. This is a very, not quote you, but this is a very interesting. There's a classic rock review. I don't know if you saw it. No. This, this is unbelievable. When they were interv- When they were reviewing the entire album, and it's always difficult talking about an album that when we're talking about the actual song, too. That is named after the album, but the title song, An Innocent Man, is an absolute masterpiece. In fact, this soulful and dynamic ballad may well be Joel's best overall song of the entire decade of the 80s. It is a masterpiece of production and arrangement as it migrates from a simple bass and percussion arrangement into a majestic ensemble as the song climaxes. That's what we were kind of talking about before, where it, it does get better than Under the Boardwalk, which it's based on. Vocally, Joel hits the absolute top of his range during the choruses and admits he was not able to hit those notes again. So it is everything we say. It's just not for me. I don't consider it a masterpiece. Right. But what they're talking about in that review is what reminds me. This song really reminds me of an Elton John song in a way. It it reminds me of like, don't let the sun go down on me. It has that kind of it's slow and then it gets big and has big high moments and the orchestration is beautiful and all of that. It, It does feel like it's evoking that sort of feel more like an epicness to it yeah yeah it's epic a- but then it's also it's just it ends on a slow note again it doesn't end on the climax it just kind of meanders back down to the slow intro sort of feeling and yeah for me it doesn't start out well they're just the the doom which is supposed to be under the boardwalk a song i never really cared for either but i love that he says this song is based on this on an innocent man album this song is based on this this song is based on this also this album is when you know when we talk about the albums as holes and the track listings it's fascinating that the first side of this album starts with easy money ends with tell her about it and those are so rocking and having a good time and in between it's an innocent man the longest time in this night so it just goes from high to medium low <laughs> and then to a really uplifting teller, a great way to end the first side. Uh, do you? Uh, can you tell me what this song does, uh, how he plays it in concert? Yeah, so it's very interesting, actually. So this song is... Yeah, because I'm curious about that. It's a, I am interested about that. I wonder, I don't 
picture him playing this often. So what what happens? Yeah. This is the 17th most played song in concert by Billy Joel. 390 performances. Really? It's a ton of a ton of performances, but he's only played it twice since 2016. And he took a five year break from 20 to, from 2009 until 2014. And he says in the there's a 2019 video of him playing at Madison Square Garden where he says, we don't usually do it because I can't hit the high notes. So that is what. So he likes it, but he just has trouble. It's embarrassing. You know, he can't hit the high notes. So interesting. He likes the song a lot. Yeah. So he likes it a lot. And you could tell if you watch a lot of the videos on YouTube of him playing this, usually until the, the 2019 video, he always does it standing at the mic. It's not one of his piano songs. Yes, I did notice that. So he really likes this is one of his I think he likes those front and center songs. He gets into it. He snaps his fingers into the mic. He, does, he has all this um, choreography on certain lyrics. He'll act out when he says I'm a martyr. He does like a Jesus thing with his arms out. There's a thing they do with the lights where the lights go dark and then back on again. He's got a whole thing worked out with the song. It is very rare to see him just perform at the mic, not playing some form of instrument. And so this is the one, I guess, at least so far that we know, where he just gets up to the stage and doesn't sit at the piano. Well, because he can't hit those high notes sitting at the piano. You got to be standing for these high notes. Yeah, except in the 2019 video, he goes for the high notes, which are medium notes for him at that age. Um, but and he's behind the piano. That's the only time I've seen him sitting. I watched several videos of him well, playing. But now he can't get up. He's just too big. Yeah, <laughs> and then, you know they have that rotating stage at MSG. They have a rotating stage. Yeah, his piano goes from like left to right on this like swiveling stage, so that oh. no matter where you're sitting, you get to always see him. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's really cool. So there's a lyric in the song where he says. I know you're going to keep turning away. And right when he hits the word turning, his piano moves him 180 degrees. Oh, cool. And so he's still playing and singing, but like everyone's just looking at his head because it moves slowly. I guess it's so obvious that he likes this song. You, you're you not going to name an album of a song you, you didn't care for. <laughs> 52nd Street. Right. Oh, right. Oh, shit. Well, maybe he likes 50, the song 52nd. We just don't like it. No, we do not. But he must like it, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, good point. You know what? I'll take it back. Well, it'd be funny if you just named the nylon curtain Laura. <laughs> In some of the live versions, he'll actually sing a medley of Under the Boardwalk or Rose in Spanish Harlem or Stand By Me or all three of them together before then it gets into An Innocent man and that's the same kind of thing that actually can get artists into legal trouble as far as copying songs you know i i, I do some work in music litigation as our listeners don't know but now i'm letting them know and uh the artist ed sheeran actually got sued by the estate of marvin gay because his song thinking out loud sounds a lot like let's get it on and normally an artist could say that's just coincidence or whatever but then there were videos of him playing that song mixed in with with thinking out loud can you imagine these idiots? This, Billy Joe's making a tribute to a favorite song or a favorite artist that he likes, and they're getting all upset about it. The guy's keeping the song alive. Who's playing under the boardwalk at Madison Square Garden? Can everybody just shut up? Well, I don't, I don't think anyone has sued him for this, and, but he has said in interviews that he um, he's taken the rhythm from those songs, but that it's a, it's totally his medley or his, his melody. I guess he's saying certain parts of it are elements of those songs, but it, he made it his own, and I guess that's good enough. And I'm saying Marvin Gaye's estate should shut up and be grateful that Ed Sheeran's keeping the song alive. Yeah, well, it was a, it was ended up being a frivolous lawsuit, but um, <laughs> don't don't blame Marvin Gaye. The only person that had a case was Huey Lewis and Ray Parker Jr. Now that's it. Ghostbusters came first, right? No, son of a no! How dare you? 
we're all Huey fans here. <laughs> yeah, but Ray Parker Jr. came up with the best line, which is Bustin makes me feel good. Well, you got that right, Elon. Man, you are on target today. <laughs> Another song that that an innocent man sounds like is Blue Bayou by Linda Ronstadt. I feel so bad I got a worried mind. One of the worst songs I've I had it as a kid and I, I, I hate it. I think I had it on a forty five and I hate it. And I don't know what somebody must have given it to me. It's the most depressing, horrible song I ever had as a kid. So yeah. I obviously hate this song if that's what this is supposed to be. That's exactly it. I think you're thinking of it because they do sound very similar because they both start with the whole stand by me under the boardwalk kind of feel, that same rhythm. And then they, it, she does that thing where it's quiet and then gets really loud, just like he does in this song with the big vocals. And I then can, back to quiet again. I would have no problem ranking this song at 121. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of our show. Do you have a good stumper for me? I have an outstanding one today. I've been waiting for it. I'm excited. This song is called... I'm trying to figure out how to word it the best way. This song is called An Innocent Man. Billy Joel has used the word man in a song five times, but what other classic songs end with the word man? By Billy Joel? Yes, by Billy Joel. No, by Huey Lewis. <laughs> if you can't guess right now, you're going to kick yourself. <laughs> Is it Piano Man? Yes, number one. Well, how many are there? Just one other. Oh, okay. Okay. Ramblin' Man. No, not Ramblin' Man. I'm <laughs> Ramblin kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, it should be really easy, right? It's like blank man. Well, it, it's one of those things where I said you'd, you'd kick yourself if you, you know when I tell you. Oh, angry young man. That is correct. You got them both. Nice. The other songs that have the word man in it is No Man's Land and Big Man on Mulberry Street. But my uh, trivia to you, which you got correct, was just what ends with the song Man. An Innocent Man, Angry Young Man, and Piano Man. Well done, Elon. Well done. You thought about it. You took your time. I like it. That's a good trio also. That should be, they should put that out as an EP, like the three man songs. <laughs> I'm, I'd prefer not to hear an innocent man, but the others, yes, absolutely. I'm not sure how much I like Piano Man, but that's for another day. Oh. Well, a little overplayed, maybe. You hear that, folks? Make sure you listen to episode 87. <laughs> when Dave tells us why Piano Man sucks. Hey, did you get that right? Is it really 87? Did you look it up? I have no idea. But oh, okay, okay. I was like, boy, he's good. <laughs> I thought you did the math in your head that quickly. Yeah, I'm like one of those weird savants who has a really useless skill. Well, you are really smart, so I actually believe you. If you had told me, yeah, I just figured it out in my head. Okay, give me yours, your trivia today. Okay, so An Innocent Man is heavily influenced by the song Under the Boardwalk by The Drifters. Now, my question is, how many people have been members of the group The Drifters? Here's a hint. It's a lot. Ugh, I don't know anything about The Drift. This is a horrible question. We're doing a Billy Joel podcast. You think I actually know what The Drifters are doing? I don't know anything about Springsteen or The Drifters, but I'm going to say 25. You are way off. Listen to this. According to Wikipedia, and they name every single one of them, there have been 66 members of The Drifters. Oh, my goodness. That's almost as many as we're in The Archies. <laughs> 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 
they were very poorly paid and their manager owned the name The Drifters. So people would just leave and they would get replaced or they would leave and then start off a splinter group called like Bill Pinckney's Original Drifters. So they were like the raised pizza of doo-wop. <laughs> They're the famous original drifters. Outstanding analogy. I was thinking about the Doobie Brothers are pretty much at this point like that too. Yeah, I mean, but a lot of groups have it where they have different lineups over time, but never like, that's a lot, 66. Yeah, Crazy. And- but I guess they're very replaceable because here's a follow-up trivia. It's not a question, but this is very interesting. The song Under the Boardwalk was recorded one day after the Drifters' lead singer died of a heroin overdose. Oh, my goodness. I was just going to say, I, of course they're replaceable. I don't think they write their own songs. No. Well, Benny King, who was a member of the Drifters at one point and by this time had gone off solo, he co-wrote Under the Boardwalk. Oh, he co-wrote Under the Boardwalk as for a the Drifter? Drifters. He was already solo, but he wrote it for the Drifters to do. Yeah. So, again, anybody that doesn't write their own music, so he's replaceable. That was a crappy trivia question, although quite fascinating. Just for me, it was no good at all. I just told you I hate doo-wop, I hate 50s stuff, so there was no way I was going to know that, unless the answer was Chubby Checker. (laughs) I just realized that I was wrong about um, him (laughs) co-writing Under the Boardwalk. Benny King wrote Stand By Me for the Drifters to do, but then he ended up recording it himself as a solo artist. Do you know any other Drifters songs? Because I don't. Yeah, they have a lot of really good songs. I don't name them. You would like these songs. Trust me. Crap. Save the Last Dance for Me. Boring. There Goes My Baby. Never heard of it. The funny thing about the guy, the lead singer dying of a heroin overdose and then them still recording the next day, it says on Wikipedia that they didn't want to cancel their studio session. Like they had already <laughs> paid for studio time. So they were like, all right, well, you know, whatever. If we could see video of them recording it, they just have tears rolling down their <laughs> yeah. face while they're singing why... under the boardwalk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so our good friend Weird Al Yankovic actually recorded a parody of An Innocent Man. Okay, let me hear it. It was back in 1993. It was called A Phoenix Suns Fan. That's awful so far. Go on. (laughs) You know, at the time, the 93 Suns were a great team. They went on to the finals. And during that playoff run, Weird Al was inspired to tell them, listen, you know, fans, we know you've been heartbroken before. As you know, the Suns lost to the Celtics in in the 1976 finals. We all felt hurt from that. But we have to look past it. We could win it this year. 1993 is our year. And then they lost, and the whole song tanked. I know Paul Westfall's going to draw up a play. And Kevin Johnson may not hit it today. But it's best of seven, so the Suns will survive. Just keep hope alive. Charles Barkley gets us that elusive ring. Just need to beat the Bulls four times and we'll finally win this damn thing. That's it. Hey, now. Can I cut that one out? Uh, Maybe we don't do the Weird Al this time. I'm just kidding. It's it's adorable, Elon, I'm sure. Anybody that's listening to the Billy Joel podcast will be like, oh, they just made a big Charles Barkley Phoenix Suns reference. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a Venn diagram of 90s NBA fans and Billy Joel (laughs) fanatics and that cross-section there, they're going to really be into that one. Well, that's the funny thing. Right after that, he stopped recording. So maybe uh, there is something to it. Yeah, right. Right after Charles Barkley lost it all, he stopped recording. <laughs> and he moved into Billy's Hamptons estate. I'm not going to say anything, but that did, you know, the, the Christie Brinkley marriage had ended and Barkley and Billy Joel began, began hanging out uh, in the West Village. Things happened. Interesting. Yep. It's all hearsay. Well, folks, that was an innocent man. 
If you like our podcast, be sure to leave us a nice review. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Does anyone really think this is the fifth best Billy Joel song of all time? Do you want to hear more 90s NBA references? Let us know! Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. 